0: This is the Water Into Wine podcast. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be describing a journey that I've been on over the past 12 years, telling you about how I started off as a non-believer in the spirit world and ended up as a believer. I'll give you all the clues you need to go and verify this for yourself and go and research for yourself as well, because I don't expect anybody to listen to what I say and just believe it. But I do want you to go and look for yourself because you'll find everything's there. Now, you can find the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and SoundCloud. Just search for "Water into Wine" podcast. Welcome to the "Water into Wine" podcast, episode thirteen. Now, I'm not superstitious, <laughs> uh, so I'm not bothered about calling it episode thirteen. Now, at the last, at the end of episode twelve, the last podcast, I um, spoke to you about the obelisks, three of the main obelisks in in the world, really, which was one at the side of the River Thames in London, uh, one inside Central Park in New York and the other one outside the Louvre Art Gallery in France, and they're all called Cleopatra's Needle. I'm now going to tell you about another obelisk, which is directly outside the Vatican. The, uh, I've got a picture in front of me, which is of the Vatican obelisk, as the Pope sees it, with the obelisk dead centre in St Peter's Square. It would help if you got that, because this is going to be quite difficult to explain to you, using the geometry but I'll try as hard as I can so if you can get this picture up on the screen St Peter's Basilica as the Pope sees it so this particular picture as I just said is is the Vatican as the Pope sees it with the obelisk dead center in St Peter's Square now either side of it and front and back you'll see lines coming from it white lines now that's actually star alignment lines believe it or not during the summer and winter solstice, which are huge dates in the pagan calendar, the sun rises from this picture top left and it sets bottom left, which causes a shadow from the ob- obelisk dead centre in St Peter's Basilica to fall uh, bottom right and top right. You see that? The sun, the shadow from the obelisk, Do you understand that? The shadow is obviously 90 degrees to the obelisk. Now, at the winter solstice, the sun rises top right and sets bottom right, so causes a shadow to fall once again at 90 degrees. So it leaves a shadow top left and bottom left. Are you following me so far? This is quite difficult to explain this. Now, if we were to mark the sun's procession as the obelisk's shadow at sunrise and sunset, the resulting picture would leave an X. So sunrise and sunset, summer solstice, sunrise, sunset, sunset, winter solstice, leaves would leave a shadow the opposite direction, which would leave a big X in St. Peter's Basilica with the obelisk dead centre, because that's causing the shadow. As we've discussed before, the reason Easter is at a different time each year is because of a star alignment, the closest Sunday to the, to this alignment being chosen as the Christian worship. Easter is called Easter because, as we've been As I've been telling you, the sunrise is exactly due east and was uh, uh, worshipped by the pagans from a god called Ishtar, I-S-H-T-A-R, which they pronounced Ishtar. Now, due east is directly in front of the uh, Vatican. It faces east, as do most churches, but we'll come back to that. Now the shadow from the ob- obelisk, uh, if the sun rises due east, falls directly onto the Vatican steps and also on sunset it falls the opposite way. Now if you join all these shadows up it becomes an X with a line down the centre. Now this is an occult sign that's a few thousand years old and it's spelt, it's called Kiro. it's spelt C-H-I-R-H-O. Now, this sign was used by pagan scribes as a mark in the margin for important messages and passages of biblical documents. The Greek letters, Kiro, C-H-I-R-H-O, stand for Kreston, which means good. Now, some say if you take the first two letters of the Greek spelling of Christ, the first two letters are XP, and XP, some people say, was put together to make this same sign. I'm not so sure about that. I can't find anything, any um any evidence to back that up we see this sign this key row on the side of ambulances today now at midday during the verlan equinox in egypt the sun is exactly above the great pyramid and it doesn't cast a shadow this exact spot was chosen the pyramids were not put there by accident and also the spot the vatican was built on is also no accident the vatican may well pride itself on being one of christianity's oldest monuments in europe but in fact This site predates Christianity by thousands of years. The obelisk in the centre of St. Peter's Square originally came from Heliopolis, the City of the Sun, as it's known in in Greek, or the Eye of the Sun, as it's known in Egyptian, and was placed in the centre of the Circus Nero, which is the old name for the area just to the right of uh, St. Peter's, and that was by Emperor Caligula in 37 AD precisely because the area was very important and special to pagans for its available geometries. Many tombs and altars to pagan gods were placed here and worshipped accordingly. Not only that, but it was on this spot that countless Christians were executed. St Peter's Square was, in fact, a pagan burial and sacrificial blood ritual ground. People would come from miles around to pay homage to pagan gods, and this is why the obelisk is placed on this very impressive site. It remained sacred to pagans for the next 300 years until a little after Emperor Constantine had his meeting with the Council of Nicaea, and Jesus was cast as a starring role in the pagan religion. The site had to change its name to suit the New Deal. Between 326 and 333 AD, Emperor Constantine I built the original St. Peter's Basilica, so that it overlapped with the old Circus Nero and the obelisk was eventually moved approximately 200 feet. In the middle of the 4th century AD, St Peter's Square and the Vatican City were being built. They didn't however change any of the key aspects of the layout, it remained a working pagan site. This isn't the only sun-worshipping site in Rome though, in fact most of Rome is orientated towards the sun. Let's take the Pantheon for example. Now, just in case you don't know and you've never been to to Rome, the Pantheon is a 2,000-year-old temple just down the road from the Vatican. And, once again, it has an obelisk right outside it. In fact, Rome is littered with obelisks. They are everywhere. The ceiling of the Pantheon has a 30-feet-wide hole in it for the sun alignment. Now, I'm going to try to pronounce some of these (laughs) Italian names. You'll have to excuse me. I'm really sorry. My pronunciation is going to be so off. Gilino Maliglia. From the Polytechnic of Milan and Robert Hanna from the University of Otago in New Zealand say the hole in the top of the Pantheon was placed there so the building could act as a huge sundial. The hole allows the sun to hit points on the floor on special days during the sun's procession. The emperor of the time used to sit or stand on a particular spot and at an exact time he was illuminated. He actually looked like he was glowing because of his white robes exactly the same way the Colburn Bible tells us that the Egyptian kings used to be when they came out of the Great Pyramid after being made into a pharaoh and going through the ritual of the twice-born. On Easter Sunday each year, the Pope comes out of the Vatican and talks to the thousands of people that have congregated in St. Peter's Square to hear him. Now, is he actually talking to them? I don't think he is. I think he's also paying homage to the obelisk and the sun, He's standing more or less in the same situation as pagan priests have done for thousands of years. Have you ever wondered why some religions face East when praying? All Christian churches are built to face East, as I just mentioned before. But why? Why does the priest turn his back on the congregation while praying? It is so that he may face East too. This is manifestly a more important religious duty for him than facing those whose souls he supposedly dedicated to saving. That's because he's paying homage not to Jesus, nor to us, but to the Sun God. East is mentioned, of course, so often in the Bible that it's part of its spiritual wallpaper. Jewish people pray towards Eden in the east, Genesis 2.8. Ezekiel saw the glory of the God of Israel in the east, Ezekiel 43.2.4. Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives, and also where he'll return from, the east, Acts 1.11.12. The direction the angel of the Lord will come in the end times, the east. Revelations 7.2 Tertullian tells us churches are always pointed towards the light, i.e. the east. Saint John Damascene says while we wait for the coming we should adore him facing east. This is supposed to have been passed down from the apostles. When we pray in church facing the sun god in the east, we place our hands together in a vertical axis. Why? because we are making an obelisk with our hands. What have all 95% of all churches got in common? They have spires or obelisks on their roof. Obelisks are also close cousins to the pyramids. On every church roof, an Egyptian symbol of sun worship. When you look at biblical art, what's that behind the head of Jesus? Some people think it's a halo, it's a yellow disk. But I think it's the sun disk. This symbol doesn't only appear behind the head of Jesus, however. If you look into Buddhist, Hindu and Sikh religions, you'll find that their deities have the same disc behind their heads. You'll also find, more often than not, they'll sit cross-legged in a pyramid shape, as you do if you meditate. Now, do you call our referencing Graham Hancock's research into tribal shaman and the revelation that not only did they take hallucinogenic drugs to propel them into the next dimension, but there are other less dangerous ways to do it as well. If we look at the Native American Indians, a very, very spiritual people, by the way, they danced and drummed around a fire to contact the gods. So, rhythmic drumming, dancing for hours to the point of collapsing and of exhaustion, and also meditation can activate the pineal gland. Meditation has its own devotees, and people pay good money to be taught how to do it sometimes travelling to India to learn from the gurus. In the Middle Ages, meditating would have had you burned as a witch. Makes you think, doesn't it? Now in meditating we close our eyes, plunge ourselves into darkness, we relax and just let our thoughts wander, putting us almost into a sleep-like state. At that particular point our pineal gland becomes operative. Every morning many of us will recall our dreams, as if they were somehow visionary. Sometimes we will be startled and profoundly moved by them. Some of us will even change our lives based upon them. Telling any such thing to a witch finder general in the Middle Ages wouldn't have won you any admirers. The next thing you would have smelt was your own socks as they caught fire, along with your underpants, of course. Meditation in our world is a safer activity. Unlike dreams, what we think and feel is not lost to sleep or to wake up. We get to remember it all. An article in the telegraph caught my attention this was a few years ago now the article was about was about an american pastor who is against the population practicing yoga because he says the very roots of it are pagan now the reason this guy's trying to ban or at least be very awkward to all yoga classes is because at the end of the yoga class the participants all meditate and yet when we pray in church what is it that we say at the end of every prayer amen now, did you know that almost every religion in the world ends its prayers with this word in one form or another? We're told that it means, so let it be, or we all agree. I've asked quite a few priests about this, and they all, they all agree. It's so let it be, or we all agree. Are you actually aware that it's someone's name? This person whose name we invoke is also the same body that orientates our churches eastwards and is also the God to whom the Egyptian obelisks or pyramids on our church roof honour. It isn't Jesus, a stonemason. Jesus may be the person to whom you imagine you are praying or possibly to Mary. The God whose architecture built the pyramids where they are, designed St Peter's Square and whose star rises in the east, is the Egyptian God of the sun, Amen-Ra, the virgin birth child of Isis and Osiris. And, at least when Christianity got started, The heads of this new religion knew exactly that this was what they were doing, even if the rest of us had other ideas. It turns out the son of God, S-O-N, is actually the son of God, S-U-N, or as this God was when he started out, the sun God. Amun-Ra or Horus has the head of a hawk because he flies in the sky. He holds the shen in each claw. The shen represents a knotted rope. An attachment to the material world because he's the twice born one, a pharaoh. The obelisks in your town centre represent the true virgin birth of Horus, Amen Ra. The idea of the second coming we imagine alluded to Jesus, but in fact it belongs to a Pharaohic religion that's been projected onto the historical mortal Jesus. Now, under no circumstances am I actually trying to insinuate that Jesus didn't exist. There is no archaeological evidence. That he ever existed let's put that fact out there first of all but I think he did because there is so much written about him not only in the Christian Bible but in other religions as well he gets mentioned so I think this man actually existed but I think he took the hallucinogenics and what he's telling us what he says to us during Christian uh, biblical passages is what he's experienced in his alternate dimensions how credulous we've all been and remain so How long before someone blows the whistle? When do we all wake up? A BBC News reporter recently said that in December 2009 more people celebrated the winter solstice than ever before and that, according to experts, paganism has shown a rapid increase. Pagans are still seen as a bit of a joke. But this may well change. After all, as Christians, we were largely pagan in the first place. Some people argue that the materialist evolution has led us into a dead end and that has left us nowhere to go but inward. Perhaps as such we will start to understand this world properly and clearly without the wall having been pulled over our eyes. As we look to alternative sources of renewable energy, sun, wind and sea, perhaps we will return to a pre-Christian view of the universe, one with which we must live in harmony rather than one over which we have some kind of lordship. And that's where we're going to draw an end to this week's podcast. (laughs) That must have been quite shocking for you. You can go and check out everything I've just said and make your own mind up. As I said to you right at the start of this podcast and every podcast, I'm not asking anybody to automatically believe what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to do is incite you to go and look for yourself and don't just believe someone. Don't believe what I say. Don't believe what anybody says. Go and look for yourself and make your own mind up. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about Zeptepi, which is a very strange word. We're going to discuss the Temple of Seti I in Abydos. Also, we're going to discuss time travel and the seven sages, because they are the ones who are supposed to have built the pyramids, according to the Colburn Bible. But we'll discuss that next week. Have a fantastic week. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast this week, and I'll speak to you soon.